All right, let's look in the Gospel of Mark, and we move to chapter 12 today. This goes into many details of the last week of Jesus before the crucifixion, and give a lot of details about that. There's 16 chapters in Mark, and over the next four chapters in uh, we'll have the, the last events in the last days before the crucifixion and see a lot of good things there. Well, we move to a new chapter, but this is the same situation, that can, the same conversation we left off with last continues. And just realize the chapter divisions were at, at, added later just to help us in studying the Bible to where we can look stuff up. And most of the time they come at places where there's a change in maybe a situation or a new setting. But here he continues to talk and he's talking to the religious leaders who just challenged his authority. So he's talking to them. Verse 1 says, Then he began to speak to them in parables. So he tells them this story that's going to present some spiritual truth about God, about Jesus and them, the religious leaders. A man planted a vineyard, set a hedge around it, dug a place for the vine wine vat and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that he might receive some of the fruit of the vineyard from the vine dressers. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again he sent them another servant, and at him they threw stones, wounded him in the head, and sent him away shamefully treated. And again he sent another, and him they killed, and many others, beating some and killing some. Therefore, still having one son, his beloved, he also sent him to them last, saying, They will respect my son. But those vine dressers said among themselves, This is the heir, come let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy those vine, the vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. Have you not even read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hands on him, but feared the multitude, meaning the religious leaders, for they knew he had spoken the parable against them. So they left him and went away. So Jesus tells this parable, as many times he did this, told a story to share a spiritual, some spiritual truths about his kingdom. And so he does that here with different characters. There's a man in the story who owns the vineyard. That man represents God. That pictures God in the story. Then there are vine dressers and a vineyard. The vineyard represents Israel. Israel's the vine, and that's they, their pictures that way, that way throughout the Bible. The vine dressers are the ones who are taking care of Israel, and that would be the religious leaders. Their job was to spiritually lead the nation, the priests, 
scribes, the ones he's talking to, the ones who are challenging Jesus' authority, they're the vine dressers. The servants, notice God first began to send some servants to Israel to receive some fruit from them. The servants, I believe we can say, are prophets of God that He sent to Israel. You see that terminology throughout the Old Testament? I, I, saw, I read it this week in Jeremiah where he said, I sent to you my servants over and over, my prophets, and they spoke to you rising up early and told you my truths and called you away from your sin, but you would not listen to them and you rejected them. And we can read in the Old Testament, and they killed many of those. Some they beat. Jeremiah was an example. They took Jeremiah, threw him down in a pit one time, left him there. They put him in stocks. Other prophets they killed. There was a prophet, actually just this week, I thought it was kind of interesting. There was another prophet in the time of Jeremiah. He prophesied the same thing against the king. The king then uh, wanted to arrest him. The prophet got scared, ran down to Egypt, and the king hunted him down and killed him. Jeremiah stayed right where he was and God protected him. He didn't run, which was a great illustration that the safest place to be is stay right where you are in God's will and God will protect you if it's God's will that you not die. But some of the prophets they killed, some they, they uh, persecuted. The servants in the story are the prophets. God sent to Israel over and over throughout the Old Testament. Then, last, He sends His Son. The man sends His Son. And the Son, of course, represents Jesus. When God sent His Son into the world to die for the sins of the world, and in the, their rejection, it brought then the payment for our sins to save us. And so, the vine dressers at the end then are the religious leaders who reject the Son. They're rejecting Jesus and they take Him and they kill Him. Notice what happens here, what Jesus does with this story. He foretells His own death in this story. He foretells what's about to happen in a few days. He foretells the future. And they don't even realize it. And it's one of the powerful things the Bible does is foretell the future. And Jesus says here, He foretells His own death. Now they take the Son and they kill Him. And that's about what, that's what they're about going to do. The very people he's speaking to, he tells this story to convict them, to uh, confront them with the truth. And it's really an opportunity to call them to repentance as God is so rich in His mercy to give those who are rejecting Him the opportunity to turn and to receive Him. So what a powerful story this is Jesus tells well, there are three basic parts to it I want to focus on in my comments. First, about God, the purpose He has. Second, then the person of Jesus, which is so powerful in this story. And then the rejection then of, of Israel and its leaders. And how tragic that was. How tragic it is when anyone rejects Jesus today. Well, first God. The story starts off with the man who represents God. He has a vineyard. He's, he's pictured as the one who owns everything, and that's God. And that God has planted a vineyard. He has planted it. He's grown it. And now He leaves. He sends 
He appoints vine dressers. He sends servants back to receive fruit. This shows God at work. God is carrying out a work here on the earth. And He's carrying out a work in our lives, in the lives of the nations of the people, and particularly in the nation of Israel. God is carrying out a work on the earth. The vineyard, the whole setting of a vineyard and growing crops is a picture of work. And God is at work in this world. He's at work on the earth He's made. We're His works, like that scripture I read at the beginning. We're His works. He's working through us today. Just as He was conscious of the vineyard here, and He said, I'm, it's, vineyard, it's uh, harvest time. I want to sin and get some fruit. I'm anticipating that fruit. God is looking down at us in the world today, and He's saying, I am doing a work. I, am, I want to receive fruit in my vineyard, my earth today. God is still working this same way. And we're a part of this story even today in some way. We're now in salvation. We've been brought into the covenant of Israel. We're part of those vine dressers now. And He wants fruit in His vineyard from us, from our lives. God is at work and He has a great purpose He's carrying out in the earth. We need to constantly remind ourselves of this because it's so easy, because we can't see God and we can't hear Him with our ears, we can't experience Him physically in any way, we can go about our lives and think, God's not around. God's uh, somewhere off, far off, and He's not involved here in my life today and this week. But He is. This story reminds us of that. He's the great owner of the vineyard who is watching over his vineyard he is buried near us he is watching what we do there's a proverb that says um, the eyes of the lord are in every place watching over the evil and the good god sees everything what we're doing he knows everything we're going through he is with us and we experience that by faith we see him by faith we hear him by faith in his word what we're looking at today is how God speaks to us. God is here speaking to us through this Word. And I am just a messenger to relate it to us. But it's God's Word. He is with us. He is working on the earth. He's working in our lives. If we'll have ears to hear and eyes to see Him by faith, we'll see how near He is. Plus, this tells us, not only is He working here now, but He's got a future work. He's got a time and point in the future. He says, I want to have a result from my planting of the earth. There's coming a day of judgment. There's coming a final end of all things where God's going to give an accounting of everything in our lives. And we're all going to stand before Him to give that accounting. He's going to say, what did you do with the life I gave you? What did you do with your time here on the earth? But the most important question he'll ask is, and the most important issue is, what did you do with my son that I sent for you? See, that's the great question next that moves in the story. He said, I'll send my son, my beloved son. Surely, notice this phrase. It just really sticks out, verse 6, at the end of verse 6. They will respect... My son. They will receive my son. They will honor my son. They will listen to my son. They will follow my son. They'll do what my son says. Because the son represented the father. 
And that's the great question of our life, too. Do we respect the Son, Jesus? Well, this puts a great focus on the person of Jesus, and this is a great parable he taught about himself. And notice how this, the basic truth, Jesus here is identifying himself as the Son of God. You'll hear this question debated by unbelievers. They'll say, well, Jesus wasn't God. He wasn't the Son of God. Show me where Jesus ever claimed to be the Son of God. He never said that. They'll say that a lot. And you have to understand, the situation is, Jesus did not press that directly. He was trying to keep it somewhat hidden so that He could do His work freely. He knew if He pressed it a lot at first, the religious leaders would have go crazy over that, and they would take him out, they would kill him before he had time to do his work of the three and a half years. That's why he kept it somewhat of a secret. He would tell people, when they say, you're the Son of God, he said, don't tell anybody. That's what you have with, with Jesus. So yeah, he, he didn't directly say it a lot, but he does affirm it in times like this, in this parable, where he does it somewhat indirectly. And he says... The man, God, sent his son. And in that story, he was the son. Of course, he did quote that to Nicodemus personally. You know, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus did affirm that he was the son of God. And this parable does this in a great way. and identifies him as the only begotten son of God. That Jesus was all man, He was a human being, but He was all God also. He was the second person of the Trinity. He was fully God in a human body. And there's been no one like Him. And that's what the designation the Son of God means. There's never been a person like this. It was God manifested in a human body, and that's who Jesus was. And He was sent into the world by God the Father to do this one thing he was talking about, to go and die for the sins of the world. And that's who Jesus is. He was and is. He came for us. And the question is, what is our reception of Jesus? Have we received Him? Do we respect Him? Do we receive the work that God has done through Jesus for us? This is the great question of life. Paul preached this when he traveled around the Greek cities and he said, God has appointed a day in which He will judge all the world by one man, the man Christ Jesus. When you and I stand before God on the day of judgment, we're all going to be judged by Jesus Christ. And the only thing that will save us on that day is that is, has there been a time in our life where we humbled our heart and we said, God, I have sinned against you. I acknowledge that. I'm a sinner deserving to go to hell, but I believe that Jesus, your son, died on the cross for me and pays for all my sins that I ever have done or ever will do. And I ask you, we have to personally ask, I ask you to forgive all my sins and to save me from your wrath. 
That's the only one main question that God is going to look for. Was there a time in our life where we did that? Was there a moment in our life where we repented and believed on Jesus the Son to save us? And that's the only way to be saved. To live with God forever. Jesus said, surely they'll respect my Son. He's my Son. He's going to do a great work of, of sacrificing Himself. Surely they will respect my Son. We can ask that question today. Jesus has come. He's died. He's returned to heaven. And now the, the offer of salvation is to everyone. Repent. Believe on Jesus. Have you respected that? The last thing to look at here is the rejection of the religious leaders. But I want to bring out another thing. Is just not receiving the work of Jesus is rejecting Him. Not receiving the Son and the work He came to do is a rejection of Him. Every person that hears about Jesus, but yet never acts on that, does not repent, does not make the decision to believe on Jesus and ask Him to save them, they reject Jesus. As far as they're concerned, He wasted His time coming and dying on the cross. They did not respect what He did. He came and He died and sacrificed Himself and they said, well, I'm just not going to respect that. I'm not going to receive it. I'm not going to believe on that. I'm going to live my life the way I want to. And they do not respect what the Son of God did for them. They will lose out for all eternity but just notice how that's even disrespectful to Jesus. He is the Son of God. He came and He said, I've given my life for you and you need to believe on Me. I'm the only way to God for you. And if a person listens to that and says, mm, no thank you. I just don't want to do that. They are rejecting Jesus and all He did. And as far as they're concerned, Jesus wasted His time and dying on the cross. Now, I'm not, he didn't waste his time, but as far as they're concerned, they said, mm, I'm not even going to, I'm not going to believe on it. I'm not going to receive what you did for me. And it's a part of what was done here. They sent, the man sent his son, and he said, Surely they respect my son. Surely they will listen to him and follow him. And they said, No, we don't want anything to do with your son. That was offensive to God. It was an offense to Jesus. He was the Son of God standing in their midst and they were saying, who gave you this authority to do these things? What do you think you're doing? What are you trying to accomplish? Totally disrespectful. But it's also disrespectful to look at what Jesus did, to hear about what He did, and say, no, I'm not going to do anything about that. I'm just going to keep doing what I want to do. It's a rejection in the same way, and what, how tragic it is. And I think it's all a part of the rejection we see here. Notice, notice the wording. I want to read again verse, verse 10. Jesus quotes from uh, Psalm 110. That's a prophecy of Jesus. No, uh, Psalm 118, rather. Psalm 118. And it says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Notice he talks about builders. 
They're building a structure. It's symbolic of a work that is, that is happening. And it's actually symbolic of building the kingdom of God, building eternal life. And the builders are Israel. And they say, okay, God, you provided your son to be the chief cornerstone that we could build on, but we don't want to build on your son. We're going to build on our own works. We're not going to use what you provided, the material you're providing, which was Jesus. He's pictured here as a stone, a cornerstone. And when you build a building out of stone, like they did in the Middle East, you start with a huge cornerstone. And it's, it's, it goes around the corner so that it provides stability and structure, and it's huge, and everything else is built off on top of that. The cornerstone's very crucial, and you build on that. Israel said, we're not going to accept your son. We're not going to build on him. And if they didn't build on him, the only alternative is they have to build on their own works, their own materials. And I believe that's a picture of their own works. Because what it really boils down to you're either going to trust on Jesus' work He did on the cross when He died in those six hours and He gave up His life and He said, it's finished, I've paid the debt, I've paid for sins, and He died and then was resurrected. You either trust on that, His work, or you trust on your own works trying to get to eternal life yourself. I think that's the picture here. You're going to try to build your own house out of your own materials. Are you going to accept what God has provided, Jesus, the true cornerstone. And this is where a lot of people are at when they just say no to Jesus. They say, well, I think I, okay, I've done pretty good. I've done this religious, uh, another thing is trying to do religious works. Religious works have a place after salvation, but they have no place in salvation. Because that is us saying, God, here are my works. You accept this and take away my sins because of the work I've done. God can't accept that because our works are imperfect. Our works are tainted by sin. And these religious leaders, these builders were trying to say, accept me by my own works. I'm not going to accept your son. And God, in this story, shows God will not accept that. Was He happy with these people who killed His servants, who killed His son? Of course not. He came and punished them and Israel suffered greatly. But it's the same way if a person comes to God and says, God, you gave your word, you gave your, your promise of salvation through Jesus and he, he accomplished the work, but I'm not going to accept that. I'm going to give you this work over here that I've done. My goodness. My being a church member. My being baptized. My taking the Lord's Supper. My helping my neighbor. Giving money for the poor. Take that, God, and you, you let that Pay, pay for my sins. That's really the two ways that people go. And this story brings this out. How insufficient our works are to build the house of eternal life. And even how offensive it is because it is a rejection of the chief cornerstone, Jesus, who really is the only way to build that house. That's the powerful story Jesus presents here.
He, he is the chief cornerstone and we must build our life on Him. Our eternal life must be built on Him and it starts by turning from sin, being sorry in our, in our hearts from sin and turning to Jesus and believing on Him that He died for our sins, that our sins were put on Him on the cross 2,000 years ago and He paid for them and it completely pays for it and you simply put your faith and trust on it and you ask Jesus to save you. And that's how you build your life on Jesus. And then when it starts by repentance and faith, and then God uh, grows you in many other wonderful ways into a wonderful building for Him to bring honor and glory to Him. And that's the work of God in the world. And He's still doing it today. And this is what I'm presenting to you through this word is what is presenting to us to us through his word today that Jesus is the chief cornerstone and you need to build your life on him and you need to accept and respect his son and uh, repent of your sin do what he said repent of your sin and believe in the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ that he has come as the son of God who was the only perfect one and he died in our place as a substitute for our sins and we put our faith in him and he did the work and we just received salvation as a gift and we know our sins are forgiven and then with that wonderful gift and new life from God and a changed heart we then are baptized and then we then are part of a church and then we serve God and then we try to help others because we've been saved. That's the wonderful work of God and that's the wonderful work through Jesus as the chief cornerstone, as the rock of ages that we sang earlier. He is the rock of eternal life. So the basic question is, what have you done with Jesus? Where are you at in this story? You're either on the side of accepting Him for who He is, the chief cornerstone, the only one who's done the works that God can accept. You accept Him totally by faith. Salvation is totally by faith. You don't try to add your works in there at all. You accept Him for who He is, the Savior. Or you're rejecting Him. There really is only two sides that we can be on. Which side? Are you on? The Bible says today is the day of salvation and that He offers, the offer of salvation is available until we die or He comes back. That offer is available now, but it will not be available forever. We need to receive Jesus and turn to Him. These religious leaders did not all indication is that they died and are lost forever and how tragic that is. All because they would not believe God's works. They would not receive Jesus for who He was and what He did. And how tragic that is today also. Jesus is ready to save whoever will receive Him. Let's bow our heads and pray. Would you think about what Jesus taught today? And would you evaluate yourself? Where are you in this story? Which side are you on? Have you received the Son and asked Him? You must ask Him personally for you. No one else can do it for you. Was there a time when you asked Him to take away all your sins and to save you? That is how you believe on Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming as the Son of God 
the only one who has conquered sin, to save us, to do the work that we could not do, to do the works that would save us. Thank you for dying on the cross, rising from the dead. You're the great Son of God. We believe on you. We trust you to take away our sins. Help us to follow you and to do the works you want us to do. Help us to share you with others. That others may come out of their rejection and come to believe on you and know eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.